So pray with me. Lord, we, we're so grateful for what you've already done in this time. We're aware that you're with us. And we just pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you can do, which is to speak into our soul and bring even greater life. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, this morning I want to talk about, and everything as you can see has been themed around this, even with our songs, how do we remain unshakable or become unshakable in incredibly shaking times? Let, let's face it, the, 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 the times that we're in, the, in uh, at, at the moment, there's a level of shaking going on in our world that probably most of us have never experienced in our lifetime. I mean, it's literally, it, it's all those words, isn't it? It's unparalleled. It's unprecedented. It's on something else. It's like, it's like we are living in incredibly shaking times. We had a pandemic that shut down the world. We have unparalleled political un, uh, upheaval. We're on our fifth prime minister in six years. We have a global food shortage that's partly triggered by the Ukrainian war. We have the highest levels of inflation in 40 years. Mortgage rates have exploded in the last three months. And on top of that, in our own nation, we've got not just food poverty, not even just fuel poverty, but the BBC reported in the last week there are 3.2 million adults, that's over 10% of the adult population, who are in hygiene poverty. They actually just don't have basic hygiene products. Like We are in serious times of shaking. And, and all of us, I, I don't know anyone, I think the journey of life is we live in joy and we live in pain. And hopefully a lot of the time the joy outweighs the pain. But sometimes there'll be some of us here today or people that you know and the joy doesn't outweigh the pain. The pain outweighs the joy at the moment. But we live in both, don't we? Like, I don't know, is there anyone here who's got a picture-perfect life? Everything is just perfect in every way. Of course it's not. That's the reality. Jesus makes it clear that it rains and the sun shines to, to followers of Jesus and others. How do we remain unshakable in shaking times? How do we keep on keeping on, not coming under this, struggling under the weight of life's pressures? How do we stop ourselves from sinking? It was weird, humorous, odd. In January 2002, I don't know if you saw this in the news, um, a, a driver in Ottawa, Canada, was driving across a frozen lake. Never a good idea, by the way. <laughs> driving across a frozen lake, and, and the lake uh, cracked, the ice cracked, and the car started to sink. And if you were in that position, like, what would you do if you were in that position? Like, you know, your car is literally kind of going down. Uh, the residents are starting to kind of rush to help. The said driver does get out of the car. Good idea. Gets onto the roof. Good idea. And then, what would you do? Then decided to take a selfie of themselves <laughs> as the car is going down. I mean, who knows? Like, I don't know. I've, you can go online. You can see the photo. They're literally, the car is half submerged underwater, and, and the driver's doing this. They could have been doing an Insta Live for all you know. Hey, everybody, check's me. I'm going down. What do you do? That is probably not a great response in a time of shaking. What do you do when it feels like the foundations of your life of, of, and of society are collapsing. And what do you do particularly if you call yourself a follower of Jesus? 
And what's interesting is the Bible 3,000 years ago actually poses that very question. You'll find it in Psalm chapter 11, verse 3. This is the question. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The word for foundations here is the Hebrew word shaft. And it's a figurative word that relates to the political, the moral, the financial climate of the world. And so it's, it's such an appropriate word. This, when the foundations, when the political, the financial, the moral climate of the world, of our society, of our lives are being destroyed, what will the people of God do? What will followers of Jesus do? Now... One of the things that we know is you've got to be really careful when you just take a verse because you've got to think about, well, what is the context of that verse? Like, what is going on in Psalm 11 that has that at verse 3? And the context is really interesting because we have to think about what's the story behind this? Who's asking the question and why are they asking the question? And, And so... So what we find is Psalm 11 is written by David. David is, will eventually become the king of Israel. I said this is around 3,000 years ago. He's not king at the time, and he, but he has written this. Psalms is a book in the middle of the Old Testament, 150 songs and poems and laments. And uh, Psalm 11 is written by David. He writes uh, 73 of the Psalms. And at the time that he's writing this song or this poem, David is literally being maniacally, it's the only word you can describe it, he is being maniacally pursued by King Saul. So there's this guy called, he's King Saul, he's the king of Israel, and he knows that David is one day going to become king. And he's so insecure that he is on this relentless campaign with all of the forces of his army to basically find David and kill David. That's the context of Psalm 11. And so in the middle of this challenging situation where David's life is being massively shaken, he has some advisors who come alongside him to basically offer some advice. This is what you should do in your time of shaking. And sometimes you have good advisors, don't you? And sometimes you don't have good advisors. These were not good advisors. And, and so the advisors, if you look later or even now, from halfway through uh, chapter, verse 1 to verse 2, this is what the advisors say. David says, first of all, how can then you say to me, this is him saying, this is what they say, David, flee like a bird to your mountain, for look, the wicked bend their bows, they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright at heart. Flee like a bird to your mountain, for look, the wicked bend their bows, they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright of heart. What they're basically saying is, David, reality check. There are a whole bunch of people who want to kill you. You are in a lot of trouble. You are under attack. And you're under attack from lots and lots of different angles. And, and, if, and if you think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. There's going to stuff coming your way, even from the shadows, even from places you're not expecting it. If you think it bad, it's bad now, it's going to get worse. Like, don't, Have you ever had those kind of wonderful people who come and say those kind of things to you? I wonder if that's familiar to any of us. And, and so, so the response to that, basically they're saying, bearing all this in mind, David, you need to run. You need to run. You need to flee. Just get as far away as possible. Turn your back on this problem. And, and, and we can 
understand that. I mean, let's, let's fast forward 3,000 years. Here we are today. I wonder how we're feeling about any shaking that we're going on in our lives. Like, what level of fear and anxiety are we battling with? Maybe we're feeling like, you know, we're in a really tough time of shaking. Maybe we're worrying that things will get worse. Or maybe there's some people here in the house today who actually know things will get worse before they get better, bar a miracle. How do we respond to those fears? How do we respond to those fears? There was an American physiologist, Walter Cannon. He's, he's the guy who, years and years ago, basically talked about that the human brain defaults us to three types of responses. The first is freeze. It freezes like, you know, when we find ourselves threatened in a fearful position, we just freeze. We just, we literally don't know what to do. We're paralyzed. We freeze. Now, sometimes a freeze moment, a pause moment is not a bad idea to think, to reflect, to get some advice. That's not... Uh, a bad thing, but if you basically are locked in freeze, problems don't go away for people who are frozen. And then the other response he said is people freeze and then they fight. They're going to come out fighting. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to solve this. And again, sometimes it's good for us to take responsibility, to recognize maybe there are some things that we can control. That's good. But the problem with fight is, is either we get into our own self-salvation projects. We think, okay, I'm going to fix this. This is all on me. I can do this. And in my experience of myself, can't speak for you, I'm just not smart enough to fix everything that's broken in my life. Like, I, I'm just not clever enough. And, and the other problem with fight is if you're not careful, you become bitter and angry and twisted in the heart. Fight is not always a great response. So there's freeze, there's fight. And then the third response Walter talks about is, is flight. Basically, run. Turn your back on the problem in the hope that the problem will go away. Don't open those bills. Just put them in the bin, don't open them, maybe it will just go away. And, and again, there may be certain issues that we face in life that actually we think that's never going to change. There's nothing that can be done about it. In the grand scheme of things, it's not hugely serious. You know what, I'm just going to turn my back on that. I'm just going to move on. We need wisdom of God and others to discern that. And, and so that last one, flight, that's the advice that David's given. David, you're in trouble. Flight. You should flee. Now, let me just pause for a second before we see how David responds. Where are you today in some of the things that you're facing? Are you in a frozen moment? I just don't know what to do. Are you in a fight? I'm trying to fix this all myself. Or are you in flight mode? I'm just going to run from this. I'm running from everything. I'm running from God even. I'm running from God's people. I'm just going to run. None of those things are ultimately going to help. And, and it's after those verses that we get to verse 3. And so it's not David who's asking this question. It's David's advisors who ask this question. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And when they ask the question, for them it's a rhetorical question. They're basically saying, David, you're in trouble. You need to flee. What can the righteous do, David? And, and it's rhetorical. They're essentially saying, David, nothing. There's nothing you can do but run. They mean it rhetorically. But it stirs something in David. 
that question that was meant to basically deliver a blow to David. Just think like, you are just in trouble. You're just going to have to suck it up. Things aren't, are just going to get worse and worse and worse. Just run as far as you can. But something happens in David. Something happens. This question burns in him. And he decides, you know what? There is something that the righteous can do. There is a response. And it's not fight. It's not flight. And it's not freeze. But it's faith. There is faith. Now, I know, like, even when I was preparing this, I'm so aware that some people are like, oh, of course it's faith. <laughs> oh, it's faith. Faith, 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 faith. Just got to have faith. Got to have more faith. That's it. I'll get down. That's it. We'll just pray. Sermon done. But that's not what David's talking about. David's not talking about some wishy-washy, passive, super spiritual, head-in-the-clouds kind of faith. He is talking about an active, responsive, uh, passionate, practical, powerful faith. So when I'm talking about, you know, David's response is faith, and what God is inviting us to is a response of faith, what we're going to see now is, well, what does that mean? What is the faith that David's talking about? that we can continue to hold in the time of shaking. And, and this faith, based on these verses, as we'll see, is based on two actions. So if you're making notes, you want to write these things out. Because this is it. This is my little one-sentence thing in the answer to the question, how do we remain unshakable in shaking times? And the answer is a faith that is rooted in pursuing God and partnering with him. A faith that is rooted in pursuing God and partnering with him. Verse 1, right at the very beginning of this passage, David says this, verse 1, In the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I take refuge. Say it with me. In the Lord I take refuge. Now, depending on your translation of the Bible... Uh, this word refuge is, is, the, is the Hebrew word hasa, and it may translate in three different ways. So your Bible might say, in the Lord I place my trust. That's one way of looking at it. So David's just saying, ultimately I'm not trusting anybody but God. That I believe that ultimately God is going to be the one who takes care of me. Now some of your translations will say, in God I put my hope and, and, and so again, like he's saying, I'm not going to put my hope in anything but God. I'm not going to put my hope in my finances, my job, my relationships, my wisdom. I'm going to root my hope in God. He will get me through this. And then maybe you've got a version that says, I take my refuge. I'm not looking for safety in anywhere but God. He is my strength, my peace, my comfort. This is, this is David's response at the time of, of shaking. And, and like he's, it's not that he isn't shaken. It's not that he's probably not experiencing fear. Like if someone wanted to kill you, like you'd be afraid. That would be scary, wouldn't it? And not if just one person. If you knew there was an army who were out to get you, like that would be, be, that would be a fearful thing. But in the midst of his shaking, David basically says, I'm going to make a choice and my choice is to pursue God. Notice, he's the one doing the stuff. He says, I take refuge in God. I take refuge in God. Why does he do that? And if you skip to verse 4, he says this, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. And, and so what does David mean by this? He's essentially saying, I'm shaking. The world is shaking. But the God that I serve is not shaken. 
He is not shaken. He is unshakable. And he's not gone anywhere. He's not left the planet. He's not left our lives. He's not disinterested and disconnected. He is still on the throne. And I look to him and I choose him because I know that he is ultimately in charge. He is ultimately in charge. Some of you know a few weeks ago, Amy and I, we went to... um, we went to Mexico to spend some time with Paul and Elaine, our Zio pastors out there. And uh, we went with a, a, a two couples as well who know them well. And when we were, when we were on the plane on the way over there, uh, there was this moment where the seatbelt light suddenly came on. And, um, and so I, Amy was out and about, actually, and there was a few people moving around. And, and so I, I put my seatbelt on, very, you know, very um, followed the instructions. But within four seconds of that seatbelt going on, no other warning, the plane felt like it dropped a thousand feet out of the sky, started to shake violently, and people are screaming and all this. I mean, it was, let's say, a moment. <laughs> it was a moment. Has anyone had a turbulence experience? A turbulence experience? Those things, they're, they're, they're pretty scary, aren't they? But what do you do? Like, if you've, you know, if all the years you've flown, like, what do you do when you're going through big turbulence? What's the best thing to do when you're going through turbulence? What do you do? Well, pray. Yeah, that's a, very, that's a good answer. Oh, well done. Oh, you're so, you're so Christian, Ruth. It's excellent. You do pray. But what practical thing do you do? Yeah, you put your seatbelt on. What do you do? Where do you look? Where do you look? Who do you look at? You look at the stewards and the stewardesses, don't you? Because if you look at the stewards and the, or the stewardesses and they're going, we're all going to die. Then you know you're in trouble. But if you look at the stewardess, stewardesses and the stewards, and they are like, this is cool, this is fine, then you actually know there's nothing really to worry about. In fact, uh, later on, Amy spoke to some of the stewardesses and, and was saying to them, like, how bad was this? Like, it was pretty bad. Like, we'd not been on anything as bad as that. And they were like, oh, no, it's nothing. It's nothing. You look to those who, who know things, and as you look to those who know things, you, they think, well, if they're not worried, then I don't need to be worried. And so David looks at God and says, God is unshakable. And it's not, it's not like air stewardess, as stewardesses are like, uh, don't have empathy. Like they come along people side who are people afraid and say, I know this is scary for you. I know this is hard for you, but don't worry. You're going to be okay. And in that same way, David looks looks to his God, and his God looks at him and says, David, I know this is scary. I know this is hard. I weep with you, and, and, I, and I know that you're concerned, but you are going to be okay. You will be okay. Like, you know, in the whole of human history, there is no shaking that the world has gone through that God is not bigger than. That God is not bigger than. And so David says, I look to you, God. I look to you. I looked at you and I take my refuge in you. Was she she driving the plane? No, no, she wasn't. I remember, like many of you will know, if you've been at Zia a long time, from around 2012 to 2016, I went through my most difficult personal shaking ever. Brutal, brutal time. A time that got so bad... Uh, I had moments where I, I just, I was like, God, just kind of take me out. I just can't, I can't cope with this. I can't carry this. It's too painful. Times when I, when I was, it was so easy to think, okay, I'm not going to pray. I, I'm not going to come to church. And I know you're saying, well, you were the pastor. 
But I'm going to be honest, like, I didn't feel like it. And if you're around at that time, you'll know that at the end of the service, like, I would leave almost immediately because I just didn't want to face people and their questions and, and, uh, and even their love. And it was such and such a difficult time. And, of course, I'm here today because of the wonderful grace of God and the love of people who carried me through and healed and restored and God's amazing. And then because he's even more amazing than I could ever imagine, he gave me the gift of Amy to be uh, my wife. And, and people have said to me, because it was, and particularly those who were close to me, like, it was brutal. And they said, like, how did you get through it, Matt? Like, how, how did you not break down? How did you not give up your faith? And I got very close to both of those things. And the answer was, yes, the grace of God and the love of people, but, but actually God has to cooperate with us. And so I did one thing in my time of shaking, like David did. I made a choice. Every single day I made a choice. In fact, I made two choices. And my choice number one was in my time of shaking, even though I didn't feel like it, sometimes I didn't know if God was there, cared. God, I am holding on to you in my time of shaking. And that, that response was very practical. I literally, every day, I would come downstairs and I would uh, play some music. And every single day, I would walk around. If, if my sons were here, they would tell you this. I would walk around the front room of our house and I would say, God, out loud, God, you love me. God, you're for me. God, you're going to bring me through. God, this doesn't define me. God, you will heal me. You will restore me. I'm your beloved son. This is not the end of my life. This is going to be the beginning. There'll be a new resurrection. And literally, every single day, and sometimes, friends, I was saying stuff, and like you, I didn't even know if I believed what I was saying. I didn't feel it, but I just knew holding on to God in the shaking was better than trying to turn my back on him. I made a choice, practical choice every day to hold on to him for refuge, hope, strength, and he brought me through. That was choice number one. And then choice number two, I made the choice, even though I found it hard, to connect with God's people. Like I didn't do what some people do. I'm going through a hard time, and so I'm going to leave the church. And once I'm all fixed, once everything's kind of all sorted, then I'll come back. Madness. Madness. We need each other. It's, a, it's our second value. We're in this together. And we're not just in the highs. We're in the lows. We're in the pain. We're in the grot. We're in the questions. We're in the doubts. We're in the fears. We are in this together. And because, even though I found it hard, you know, I would come and I would worship with you all. And, and then I had my two buddies, Phil and John, who are my buddies still to the day. And we would chat about and we would pray and they would advise me. I have my huddle and I still have that huddle. And like Caroline, like I'm in touch with Phil and John every single day pretty much. We've journeyed for 15 years together. So, so being with you and being with them, big gatherings, little huddles, that choice, even though I didn't feel like it, it got me through the time of shaking. This is what it means to pursue God. We pursue God ourselves personally with our daily choices, but we pursue God together. We pursue him together as well. So this is what David does, uh, uh, pursuing God and then the second thing he does is partnering with God. So I start to draw this to a close. Second part of verse 4, David says this, God observes everyone on earth, his eyes examine them. God observes everyone on earth, 
So David's like, God is on the throne. He's not shaken. We look to him. We take our comfort in him. He's present. He's personally interested. And he's invested in the whole of his creation. What is God doing? And David said, he's looking. He's observing. And, and what's interesting, the Hebrew, this phrase, his eyes examine them. The them is us, by the way, people. And this, in the Hebrew, it's, it's, it's literally like a picture of someone squinting, doing this. To bring something into focus. Like God is focusing his eyes into each and every person in in the whole of the world, including every one of us today. And his simple question, what he's looking for, are you part of the problem or will you partner with me in the solution? What will your response be? And so in our time of shaking, we pursue him, but we also say, yes, God, find in us... Men and women, young people, who will be part of heaven's solution to a broken world. That we won't be so focused on our own shaking, as, as hard as that really is, but actually we will be focused, even in our own shaking, to help others who are also being shaken. Whether their shaking is worse than ours or less than ours, it doesn't matter. Because time and time again we see in the scripture, over and over again, whatever we're going through, when we seek to love others, bless others, sacrifice for others, be good to others, something healing happens to us. Something good happens to us, which is why, one again, one of our new values at Zio is about being good news. We want to be good news because, first and foremost, that is good news to the world, but it's good news for us when we love and serve others. Amy and I were talking to Paul and Elaine just um, a week ago, once after we got back. And over the last six months, in their place in the jungle in, in Mexico, they've, they've got this store, and it's got like sinks and other appliances and various bits and bobs, and, and a tarantula, by the way. And um, it's got all these things. And they have this a ministry account, which some of you have kind of given to, in order that they can uh, take those things and basically fix up people's home and do some stuff. And they were saying to us, we just loved it a week or so ago, they were just basically saying, like, we feel that God's just saying, like, just get rid of all that stuff, i.e. don't have it in the storeroom, don't have the money in your bank, spend it all on the poor, get rid of all of that stuff, make sure it's being used, and then when it's used, I'll fill it up again. I'll fill it up again. Like we, we have a community fund. It's got 23,000 pounds in it that you guys all gave very generously towards. Do you know what? About two months ago, do you know how much was in it? About 23,000 pounds. That is a tragedy. Like there are needs, there are, there are people, I was, last week in our encounter night, someone shared and they prayed how a parent was walking around the, 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 uh, by the school gate at the end of school, asking if other parents could give some money so that she could pay her prepayment meter. Like that's not happening in Mexico, that's happening here. Schools here, there are people who are struggling financially that you could help, that we can help as a church. And we, and, and we want to lean into that. We want to partner with what God's doing. We want him to, the eyes to look into, his eyes to look into the eyes of our hearts and that he would find someone who, who is willing to say, I will give time, I will give money, I will give energy to help those who are being shaken. I will be good news. I will be good news. That's what we do in a time of shaking. We pursue God. We make those daily choices. I'm holding on to you and I'm holding on to God's people. And then we say, I'm going to partner with you, God, to help other people who are being shaken. We do it individually and we do it as a church. 
And let me, let me just say, guys, you want to come up now? Um, we're going we're to break bread together in a minute. But I just want to throw out something to you. I know that the time is gone. But there is an opportunity we have as a church. Are you, you're probably aware that loads of places around the country, uh, particularly churches, are, are providing a warm, welcome space for people in the community. So they're opening up the doors of their churches, and so in the day, and they're nearly all in the day, people can come into a warm space, and they can have some food, and they can hang out, they can work, or whatever they need to do, particularly those who might be experiencing food or fuel poverty, which is great. And there are lots of churches in the Hitchin area doing it. We would love to do it, but we would love to do it on a Wednesday evening. Like, no one's doing an evening. No one's providing an evening meal. And so what we'd love to do is every Wednesday, we would love people to rock up about half five, lovely warm space, games for kids, all that kind of stuff, provide them a meal just for a couple of hours that every Wednesday we'll open up the doors of our church. Now, in order to do that, we need someone who's willing to think, like, I'd love the idea of that. I would, I'd lead that, or I'd co-lead that, or I'll be part of the team, or I'll help with the food. Like, if, if God is in this and stirring us, then I'm hoping in the next 24 to 48 hours that a whole bunch of you will message me to say, I'm in, I'll help. Because otherwise it, it won't happen. So I'm, just, I'm throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out there. Now, if, if, if it's not right, then no one's going to respond. But if, if, as you think about how do we partner with God to help those who are being shaken... Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's us opening our homes. Maybe, maybe we're going to all cook loads and loads of meals and we'll do like meals on wheels to people who need it. Like, but we've got to do something for those people who are right in our community now. They need help paying bills. They need help with food. And you know what, guys? Here's the real challenge. Some of those people are in this room. And, and the challenge is, and, and please hear me, the challenge is I know to admit that you might need that kind of help. And I want you to be brave and, and ask for it if you need it, because we love you and we care about you. We want you to be provided for. And another time, you'll be able to help someone else. How do we remain unshakable in a time of great shaking? We, we choose faith, an active faith that pursues God. Daily choices. I'm holding on to you and I'm holding on to God's people. And we choose to partner with him to help the shaking of other people because that's good news to us. Would you just stand with me?